Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. So welcome back, everybody, to the show. So today on the podcast, we're going to explore the role of physiotherapy in the treatment of bowel and gastrointestinal dysfunctions such as constipation. Who knew that physios could do this? Uh, my guest today is Susan Clinton. Clinton, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here and to share information with you and your listeners. Uh, it's, I, you know, it's like a little fangirl over here, you know, been, you know, attended your course on bowel dysfunction way back in 2014 or 15 and, mm -hmm. you know, mind blown. Um, and now here we are, you know, four or five years later and I get to like, you know, talk to you personally about this. So that's pretty yeah. cool. So I guess what I'll uh, ask first is sort of, you know, tell us a little bit about you and like what got you into pelvic health. So I've been a, a PT or as they call us in the States or a physio, as they say, in the rest of the world um, for close to 40 years. And when I first was in phys physical therapy, um, all of my work was um, centered around acute care ICU during uh, what was the early 80s, which in that time, the pandemic we had going on was the AIDS epidemic. And so I learned systems approach early on uh, because those folks that I was taking care of in the ICU and those who were fortunate enough to live afterwards had a multi-system kind of problem that went on. It was neurological, it was uh, um, respiratory, it was GI, it was musculoskeletal, it was everything. And so um, from there, I went and worked in uh, rehab, and I worked on a rehab unit for many years. So anybody with any kind of neurological problem, that was, you know, that's what I saw, that's what I did. And we worked with those people too, with all the multi-systems that went on. And uh, there wasn't a, you know, just treat the spine, it was, <laughs> or just the hip or just the knee. It was treat the entire person in front of you with all of the things. So somebody with a neurological uh, deficit, such as um, a stroke or a head injury, could also have had joint problems and uh, GI problems and urinary problems and respiratory problems and, you know, the whole gamut. So all of those were taken into consideration. In the mid-90s, I moved over and started working at an academic institution, and I we ran the faculty practice there. And there was people of all kinds of diagnosis from all walks of life, all kinds of social determinants coming in the door. And at that time, a lot of the faculty were saying, you know, um, I have two shoulders and a knee coming in today, which I thought was always a little bit weird, because uh, I never called anybody by a shoulder or a knee, but things were specifically diagnosed by regions at that time, and probably still are today in many circles. And, you know, I was kind of the person who would, they would come in with knee swelling and knee pain, and my thing would be, why is there knee swelling? You know, I can, you know, instead of just treating the knee and getting it stronger, I wanted to take two steps backwards and figure out why it was swelling. 
why are this person at this age having this kind of swelling? Why does their skin look like that? What else is going on? And I started, I just asked a ton of questions all the time and took a look at them from all kinds of perspectives, but particularly a neurological perspective. And then uh, the guy who wrote the American Neurogyne book, Dr. Uh, Lewis Wall, came into the clinic and uh, wanted a physio at that point. That's what he said. He goes, I need a physio to treat these people with uh, pelvic floor dysfunction. And I was like, okay. So I went and learned. He taught me as much about Eurogyne as he could. And um, then he sent me off to see patients. And I ended up getting all of these referrals from doctors all over the place because they didn't have anybody in the area of New Orleans doing this work at that time. And so I had a lot of people who came in with pelvic pain and uh, a lot of people who uh, came in later with colorectal problems because two colorectal docs found me and started sending me all of their patients. And I really, I didn't know what, I didn't know what I was doing. I called them a lot and asked them many questions about what their protocols were. Why were they doing this? What kind of medication were they using? What was it about? I spent many hours in the library looking things up and reading and trying to understand how the GI system really worked and quickly became a fan of really understanding it because it, it became very apparent to me in the beginning that anybody with some sort of a urinary problem, no matter what it was, or a pelvic pain problem, probably had a GI driver behind it. And until you got the GI system straightened out, it didn't really matter what you did with everything else. You weren't going to optimize that urinary or, or musculoskeletal system until you got the GI system optimized. And so that's, where, that's how I came about doing that was I just, I'm always one to like go three steps backwards and go, why did this happen in the first place? There's more to this story than just one day I woke up and had pain. Um, and I know that that for my clients, that's the real, that's the realistic truth of, of their perception. They wake up one morning and this hurt and I, it came from nowhere. I have no idea, but it came from somewhere, just not where we're thinking. And so doing some investigative work always kind of lends itself going back into the GI system, which as we all know now, and we're learning more and more in this day and age is that it is, you know, there's so much, there's the gut microbiome and the bacteria that we grow that can actually govern our anxiety and our happiness. Um, there's the whole thing about serotonin, serotonin and serotonin uptake into the brain. And that so much of that is manufactured in the gut that if we don't have a healthy gut, we're not going to be happy people. And, um, you know, the, the environmental factors that we live in and um, the stressors and our response to the stress that we're under, especially now with this, um, you know, COVID epidemic going on, um, everybody's under environmental restraints and stresses that, you know, they just weren't planning on. Nobody really plans to have stress, but nobody expects this kind of thing, you know, certainly, you know, to end in one that's this long lasting. So it does have implications all the way through. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, at the time when you started doing this, I, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, there weren't any courses for you back then. It was like, you know, as a physio, you know, you have this physician teaching you and that's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Like, and were you just learning about the pelvic floor, like muscles through him or in combination with like textbooks, like who were you practicing on? 
So there wasn't anybody to, there was no courses. At that time, I was a mother of a young daughter, and the only courses out there were like a week long. There wasn't any way I could leave for a week and go away. It just was not possible. Um, you know, so there was a, uh, the International Women's Physical Therapy Association, which is IOWPTH, I believe it's called still, um, had a listserv. You know, back before we had Facebook, we had listservs. So we didn't have Facebook groups. We had listservs. And people would post questions and ask questions on the listserv. So I found an international community right away that I could ask questions to. And um, there, were journal there were journal articles. There were, you know, a lot of – there was a, a whole section of a library that I could go and sit in that had – as many books as I could find. He could tell me a bit about the pelvic floor muscles. He could show me where they were, you know, that kind of thing. But he both basically discussed urogynecology with me. Right. Is the part that I learned from him. I learned about, you know, uh, what they were looking when a urogyne does a, does an exam and what prolapse means and what they look for and what part of the wall of the vagina is fallen in, you know, or fallen down. <clears throat> what they can do surgically to kind of shore that back up, how they do sling surgeries um, for urinary incontinence and things like that. So I learned the, the, the aspects around surgical stuff and what they looked for because they look for that stuff in the mind of a surgeon. Yes. You know, and he said, the rest of the stuff belongs to you. And I was kind of like, okay. And he was like, so just be a physio. So I just basically figured it out the best that I could. And um, then at this time, for anybody who remembers Fatima Hakim, who is retired now, but she was actually in, in Houston, but she was actually in uh, Louisiana at the time, just north of us in Baton Rouge. And I called her up and she was teaching and treating at women's and children in Baton Rouge. So she was one of the forefathers or foremothers of our group. And I called her and I said, you have to come. I don't, whatever it costs, I don't care. You have to come. I need, I have to have somebody who's gone around the block with this. So I convinced her to come down and do a small course. And that's when we got to start practicing, you know, able to kind of like get with a couple of other physical therapists that, you know, her and somebody from her staff came and I gathered a group of people to come in and, um, you know, we just kind of had our own little, little class right there. And the rest, I just learned. I, you know, I just watched videos and learned the best I can and just, and you know, practice. asked a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, a you lot know, of I'll tell you, but my best teachers have always been to this day, the people standing right in front of me. My clients have taught me more about everything I do than any course, any textbook, any physician, any colleague has ever taught me. Because if you be quiet and you listen to them, they'll tell you everything you need to know. And then you have to just kind of start working with them to begin to start to make the changes in, their, in, in what's going on with them. So the clients really were the ones that really taught me a lot. I just really listened to what they were saying and how this was affecting their life and, and what was going on and, and details about it and getting them to tell their story uh, really impacted the way that I was able to kind of learn and, and direct my learning and, and figuring things out from. Um, okay. So what I'm, I guess what I'm curious about is sort of, you know, you have somebody coming in, let's just say with something as, you know, something like constipation, right? Cause people know, people have an idea of what constipation is. Um, you know, what, you know, what are you as a physiotherapist 
asking, looking for, um, you know, what, what does the role of the physical therapist in the context of constipation look like? So uh, it's always been my contention that the role of the PT is not just about the end game. And I think a lot of people, when they think of pelvic health, they think of the end game. And the reason I say the end game is because they just treat the pelvic floor. They just go straight to the pelvic floor and they do an examination of the pelvic floor, maybe the hips and the lumbar spine a little bit, but that's kind of where they go. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a huge important part of the puzzle, but it's usually not the first place I start. Um, I start with a really detailed history. How long has the constipation been going on? Um, you know, what do they know about it? What do they believe about it? You know, what, what uh, when did it start? Maybe it's gone on their entire life and they think that there's nothing that can be done about it. And the physician has sent them because he said you need pelvic floor physical therapy to go to the bathroom better. Um, so they're, they're unsure of why they're there. You know, many people are really unsure of why they're landed in our office. So a pelvic floor exam isn't out of, out of the question, but there's so much more that goes on above it. My question is always, why did you get constipated in the first place? What's not working? What's not optimal going on in your system that you're backing up so badly? And it's usually not, I would have to say, there's, there's two kinds of things around constipation. Constipation can be a learned event from when we're a young child. And it can be an event that <clears throat> is acquired from something that's gone on, you know, that's happened in our, in our adult life. And so dyssynergia or being able to, unable to relax your pelvic floor muscles to have a bowel movement can be something that can be learned from mm. like a young child, you know, that, you know, sometimes children, the only control they have is to close their mouth and not eat and not go to the bathroom. It's, you know, we, parents do the best they can there are children whose systems run high and they just have a lot of trouble and a lot of issues around it and they learn that you know this bowel movement thing is a big deal and you know they they you know they have some mixed up issues and answers around you know going to the bathroom um i don't treat kids i do just have an adult practice but there are a lot of pts out there treating children now which is going to be wildly helpful for adults as they move forward because they're getting the care they need as kids so it's not something that builds up all the way into adulthood for them right but it is something it, that would come up in their subjective history as an adult saying well i've just had this because i get it all the time i've just had this you know for as long as i can remember it. yeah right everybody's normalized it it's like i've always been this way so this is normal for me and so my question always is what if it wasn't what if it could be different you know, right. and they're kind of like, oh, I didn't know that that could happen. And then you start asking questions about, you know, what are you eating? What are you drinking? And even some very, very, very important questions such as, are you sleeping at night? How do you feel when you wake up in the morning? Because a big part of what drives the GI system is rest and digest. And if we've got clients that are not sleeping, you know, maybe they have three young children at home and their life is upside down you know with work and with kids and with the whole thing and they just never can get to i mean they they don't have time to sleep um you know so we there, there's all of those pieces and parts that come into it uh 90 of it though that i run into is issues with it's going to be issues around sleep um response to stress and the diet that they're eating and uh and the fact that most people are not chewing their food 
So right. Cause we're rushed we, and we're busy yeah. and we're go, go, go. Right. Again, right. you know, so it's, yeah, it's great to teach pelvic floor muscles to like tighten up and relax and expand. Those it's extremely important, but you got to go upstairs and craft a better stool. You have to. I mean, I can teach somebody, you know, to do the 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 pelvic floor work and get that better. We can all put their feet up on stools and get them in a better position for pooping, um, you know, because lighting up the pipes a little bit better. We can get them to relax and to breathe. All of those things are absolutely magnificent, and a lot of people do very well. Once you put a stool under their feet and teach them to breathe a little bit differently, then they, you know, they come back in and they're singing your praises, right? You're the best person that ever happened to me. And since you've, we create, we got rid of the constipation, that nagging little bit of stress urinary incontinence I have seems to be getting way better. How is right. that possible, right? But the organs are all right there together. And so the pressure from carrying a poop baby around is too much for the bladder. If you think carrying a baby around is hard on your bladder, carry a poop baby around for a while. You know, you still have the changes of intra-abdominal pressure and pressures down onto the bladder so it can't behave like the normal vesicle it, it should be, be behaving as. Yeah, and more pressure on the muscles to work harder that like mm -hmm. really don't need to be strengthened, quote unquote. They just need the pressure to come off of them. And then they'll, they'll right. you know, exactly. do what they need they to might, do. They'll, they, uh, oftentimes you build it, you craft a better stool, muscle coordination will follow. And that's what you have when you have people with constipation is a discoordination at the end game because it's really hard to push a really hard, rocky stool through a very soft, generous mucosal system. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. It's hard on it. Yeah. Um, you know, and so there's learned behaviors that come from that. If it hurts every time you have a bowel movement, what are you going to do? You're going to tense. You're going to tighten up. Of course you are. You're going to hold your breath. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to dread going. You're going to avoid going, or you're going to take all kinds of things to make your bowel movement so loose that it doesn't hurt. And then we kind of get into that. Does it, how's the GI system functioning? You know, is it functioning because all these things are coming through and making it move fast? Or is it, you know, functioning because we've got the great kinds of foods and things coming down that's giving it and teaching the, and restoring the mucosal membrane of the, of the colon better and teaching it to be a much better storage vesicle and, and movement vesicle for clearing things out. Mm -hmm. And we can do a lot of those as PT. And one of the biggest things that we have um, in our power, besides getting people to sit right on the toilet, is maybe look at positions of eating. You know, are they eating all slumped over in front of the couch with the TV on? You know, there's no room to move the food from your stomach to your small intestine if you're sitting all scrunched over. It's like, and, I, and if anybody knows me, I'm not the posture police. I, yeah. I don't believe in bad posture. I don't. I believe that we need all the postures. But there are time for postures. There's optimal postures for performance. And when we're trying to digest food, we want to have some optimal postures. And that means we want to not be in a real old slouched over position. Do I want them ramrod straight? No, but I, you know, I want everybody to be able to bend down and to lift up and to do things. But I, a lot of people sit on their couches in front of TVs or and mindlessly eat. And that's not a great way for promoting digestion because digestion starts with the eyes and with anticipation of what you're going to do because food is nourishment and it should be a soulful event and not something that you're doing because you're hungry and you're mindless. Right. And, like shoveling it in, you know, and, eating and really fast. Or just drinking smoothies every day and never eating your food. Um, so we never get the digestive enzymes coming down the pike to help really start the digestion process. 
And I imagine the medications to soften the stool is not a healthy long-term solution. Right, right. It's not something we want. You know, there's always going to be individuals that are going to need more support than others. I'm talking about the 80% herd of horses that are going to, will do better if they'll just do the following things. If they can just find a way to get to sleep between 10 and 2 at nighttime, that's when we know physiology gets optimized. So if you're only sleeping a few hours a night, can you make it be those hours? You know, if you can capture those hours, if you could sit up and chew your food and be really mindful about what you're eating, and if you could get out and move every day. If you could do those things, your digestive system is probably going to right itself over time. It takes time. It's not going to happen next week. Yeah. The colon is very slow to change lanes, very slow. But if you keep at that for about two or three months, watch and see what will happen. And a good piece of about 70 to 80% of your stuff is just going to get better. It really is, you know, for most people. Now, for the other people who are listening out there, the PTs who are like, yes, but my population, I know we have, and there's people who are complex. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that can impact this. And one of the things, especially for women that we want to really pay attention to and really want to get the train moving for them is the fact that, um, if we have women who are estrogen dominant and they're constipated, that's going to be a huge problem because the only way to clear the estrogen metabolites out of your system is to have a bowel movement. So if you're not moving your bowels and things are stacking up in there, the estrogen metabolites are hanging around. And those are the things that cause our body system, our hormone system and our upper GI system to become much more inflammatory. And so we start getting things like itchy skin, dry skin, patches of eczema, uh, you know, sinus infections a little bit more often, a little more widespread pain, um, you know, joint pain, things like that, that can come along without clearing those estrogen metabolites. And so really getting that going can be very, very helpful. So teaching people to do the abdominal massage um, you know, I teach them to do it with a little bit of rotation. So not just rubbing their belly, but li lifting their rib cage up and down on either side, rocking their pelvis side to side as they do it. I rotation for the GI system because it helps just move things along. If you think about it, kind of, you know, wrapping around your belly. If we can get the belly to rotate, we can get the GI system to start to move better. And that can be quite comforting for, to people and can help them feel better right away. When people are like, hurting and they're cramping they tend to just crunch down and when we can get people to kind of get up and to rotate you actually can stop the cramping and stop some of that irritable symptoms that you have and get the system to calm down and that's going to actually make it a little bit better when you get to the toilet absolutely um mm -hmm. and so for the people who are estrogen you know dominant to clear it they need to have a bowel movement now if they're having a hard time having a bowel movement, would that be like where they might use something over the, you know, over the counter? To yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, some of the things that we need to do is sometimes you just need to teach the system how to be optimal again. It doesn't know. The colon is going to only do what it's been doing forever. Yeah. That's, it's, you know, it, it will normalize to whatever the brain normalizes it to. It's like, we don't, if you're having a negative response to stress all the time, your your colon is being your whole GI system is being told we don't need you, right? Right, because if we're fight or fight, flight, or, you know, fleeing or fighting all the time, 
we're telling our GI system to turn off. So it's not ever going to be working optimal under those situations. And then we have our, our moment where we finally calm down and we don't, you know, then we don't feel good. And it's because we're having this aberrant um, opposite response to rise up and meet that hyper, you know, sympathetic response to flight or fight. And then when that system comes down, that aberrant response is left up there, that kind of vagal parasympathetic response, and it makes us not feel good. We have a headache. We're not feeling good. We're, you know, we're a little bit nauseated. We're, you know, all of this stuff. It's kind of those after, after effects, like, like after quakes, after the big earthquake, you know, it's kind of like all these things that are kind of happening because that's, that other system has to come down too. And, but we need them both to come down and we need them both to stay down. And what ends up happening, they only come down a bit because it's so, like waiting for the other shoe to fall, right? But if it happens again, I better be ready to jump back up there. <laughs> so we only let ourselves come down a little bit. And so that system is really never being told it can work optimally. So we want to really try to get that system back to optimal working again. So just to make sure I'm also um, clicking this in my brain correctly. So when we're in a constant state of fight or flight, known as like sympathetic, you know, up, upregulation or in, in sympathetic mm -hmm. flow, when we calm down finally, because, you know, I hear this with pain clients as well. As soon as I get home and relax, that's when my pain gets worse. Mm -hmm. And are you saying that because the system is so used to being in that fight or flight that when it's finally given the rest, digest and repair system, it, it like, is it overshooting or is it undershooting or is it just the body's not used to being in parasympathetic and so you're getting all of these symptoms yeah I, th I think it's a combination of all of that okay and i think the best way to kind of understand it is that autonomic nervous system which is what we're talking about here has two sides to it it has that sympathetic that supercharged let's get it done kind of side and then it's got the other side which is uh i just want to rest and make love and propagate the species and you know do all of that good stuff and those two systems have to work in balance and so when one raises up like the sympathetic system to prolong stress the other system has to rise up to meet it. That's just the way we're put together. So that's why I call that an aberrant response because it has to rise up to, a, to, a, to an aberrant level to meet it. It doesn't function up there, but it's being pulled up into this kind of aberrant response because remember, we're not talking about a quick, oh my God, I pulled the car off of the kid and now we can all be happy, you know, kind of response. We're talking about not running from the tiger, but it's sitting next to you all day long. Right. Hitting deadlines. Getting right. It's always there. Yeah. Prolonged oh. stress. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, oh, and prolonged we're, response to stress. Yeah. Right. Right. And some people are going to be much better equipped to deal with like mm -hmm. the pressures of modern day living others, not so much, but you know, they're probably not picking up the signals that they are not coping well with the stress. It's usually going to show up in things like well, all of a sudden I can't go to the bathroom, right? And it's exactly. like, it seems like it came out of nowhere. But in right. fact, you're, what you're saying is like, there's all these kind of underlying factors that may have led mm -hmm. you to this, to this point that you may not even be aware right. were happening. Yeah, and where people really get upset is when it's not so much that I can't go to the bathroom, they, they can cope with that okay, as long as they go every so often. What they don't cope well with is the bloating and the distension and, and the, the uncomfortableness and the cramping and the burping. And that's when they start noticing that all the things I used to eat, I can't eat anymore. 
Um, whenever I eat like a normal person, I want to eat like I did before. I want all this, you know. So when it becomes affecting their quality of life in that way, that's when we've really kind of, uh, that's when we're really going to, that's when they show up in my world anyway. Right. Um, you know, before that, they kind of just put up with it. Maybe they'll take, you know, a stool softener. Maybe they'll take a little Metamucil or Miralax or something to kind of get them over the hump. But after time, that system is never being optimized because it's always being told to shut down. And what we want to do is give them opportunities to actually begin to lower that sympathetic system and bring that GI system back on. So those cool tips and tricks that they used to use may still have to be in place for a bit, or maybe they have to be added or changed. Right. So oftentimes they're not on something like Miralax or they're not on something that's going to increase their motility a little bit. And so, but there's way, way, way backed up. So sometimes they have to do things like a clean out and then start off from you know, scratch. With, kind with, of yeah, from you. scratch. Exactly. And just realize that your system is going to back itself up. This is what it's done for all of these years. This is what it knows to do. So we have to stay one step either beside it or ahead of it, knowing that it's going to do this. Because within three days, even if you're eating all the veggies you want to eat and you're not doing anything else or eating any inflammatory foods, your system is still going to have a tendency to back up. Mm -hmm. And so you just have to kind of be kind to it. Let's figure out all the ways that we can help it, such as that sleep between 10 and two, if we can get in there and get some of that, if we can get moving. And this is the other thing that I noticed with a lot of people with GI dysfunction is one of their things is they want to go and their only form of exercise is high intensity exercise. And so when you have somebody under prolonged stress with high intensity exercise all the time is their only thing, you're actually throwing gasoline on a fire. Yep. Because now you're taking a system that's already been hijacked to make stress hormones and is no longer making sex hormones because it has to pull everything over to make the stress hormones. And then you're asking it to ramp up and to be even higher to, to have the exercise demands without the right fuel, without the right rest, and without the right hormones in place. And so now we get a system that starts to really go into some, some uh uh, problems because that's where the gas and bloating and cramping and all the stuff begins to really happen and finding that so exercise needs balance just like your autonomic nervous system needs balance so I want them to take some days and do some quiet stuff I'm, I'm not going to ever I mean you still need to do the intensity moving you need to lift you need to load you need to do that but the next day you need to do something different <laughs> so yeah. if this is your busy crazy stressful amazingly I'm the queen of the universe day then it's not your day to probably go do high intensity interval exercise it's your day to maybe do some sort of quiet stretching movement easy flow movement class something lovely and kind and and quiet and nurturing um, to support that craziness of that day. And then on a day when you're like, okay, it's a normal day and I'm cooking along and you know, it's not ter terribly stressful, it's not terribly under stressful, then you've got the reserve and the ability to do that. But when you're in trouble, you have to build that back up. Yes. And that's what that's one of the things that's lacking. And as physical therapists, we're we're perfect for that. Why, why are they doing that kind of exercise versus this kind? Well, maybe that nobody's ever talked to them about that, or maybe they've never done this because they never felt flexible enough. 
you know, I hear this all the time about yoga. I don't do yoga because I can't be flexible. I can't quiet my mind down. It's like, well, what can we do something else? You don't have to do yoga. There's yoga-like movements. There's all kinds of movements and stuff out there. Why don't we spend some time working on just a flow of movement that can be very healthy? And my thing is to put people into a lot of positions for rotation. Just right. standing and rotating, laying down and their legs going back and forth. Let's sit in a chair and rotate. Let's find ways to kind of do movements through your house. When you put your clothes up in the closet, can you stop and do three turns right there? You know, just to really begin to help that system change and lower down, but also give that system a balance so it has a reason to keep coming down. It's not coming down just a little bit. It's coming on down. And when we can get better sleep in there, then our system, the GI system, can start to produce the serotonin that we need because that's all most of it's produced in the gut. And we want to be able to get that upstairs to the brain. Because once we start, you know, doing that, then it's easier to make decisions about what you eat. It's easier to yeah. be mindful. It's easier to... Well, because you can think more clearly. And Exactly. And you're not going to have a same negative response to stress. Um, you know, and I think most people can appreciate this. How do you, Remember the last time you had a great night's sleep and you woke up in the morning and you were just like, I feel so good. And everything, there was any, like, whatever may have been bothering you the night before, whether it's your schedule or I'm never going to get all this done or how am I possibly going to make this happen? The next day you wake up after a good night's sleep and you're just like, it just falls into place. Right. You know, it's like this, 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 it's all okay. I don't know what I was worried about. That's the lack of serotonin. And -hmm. that's what getting that serotonin up to your brain can do for you. And getting it during that time between that 10 and two phase, if you can. So a lot of people tell me, oh, I sleep eight or nine hours a night. And it's like, okay, but when do you go to bed? Yeah, is it Not 3 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning after hours and hours and hours of screen time. You know, so you're setting yourself up for not having the most optimal sleep. Now, if you're worried, you know, just and, and you want to and you think you have work to do or something, try to get five or six hours and then get up. But get them during that time where we know we're going to get optimization mm-hmm. of your physiology you know, to help your GI system, because otherwise you keep doing the same old stuff. It's not going to change because your colon is going to continue to say, see, I know you're eating different. I know you're putting your feet up on a stool. I know you're doing this stuff, but I'm still backing up because I'm being told I don't matter. Right. (laughs) So this is what I do because this is how I've learned to behave and operate. And so it really needs a leader to kind of take it by the hands and say, we're going to do this and we're going to do it for a long time. Yeah. Not, this is not a one month fix for people. This is not. This is a this is a dedicated program for many, many, many months uh, to get on top of this and to get that system to change over. And I think that's what's the most frustrating thing is for people with constipation, especially chronic, and people that are helping these people with it is that it isn't it isn't something that's going to be five visits and you're out the door you can learn the things you need to do in those five visits but we need to be coaching people along to keep them on the track because this is one train that cannot stop at every station you have to stay on the train and ride it to the end and that's hard because we're kind of used to in our society of like you know a quick fix but we didn't get into this trouble with our GI systems because of things that happened quickly. We got into it because of things that have been prolonged for a long time. 
Yeah, uh, uh, the accumulation of all the small things that led to the big thing, right? And it's yeah. going to be similarly, you know, trying to, you know, sort of turn the Titanic, right? It's mm-hmm. going to happen a little degree at a time, but eventually you're going to be in a way different place mm-hmm. than, than you are now. Um, when, so when people are starting to make these changes, because you were saying, you know, they relax, they go into, you know, their rest, digest, and it's so heightened that they don't feel good. Mm-hmm. So then they're more, you know, so what do they do to not go back into that? Well, I'm just going to make myself busy because sitting here, relaxing or doing some movements mm-hmm. is not comfortable either. Right. Cause people want to, people don't mm-hmm. want to be in discomfort. You know, how, how do you, what are your suggestions to manage that discomfort in the change? Yeah, I love that. And that's really kind of where it's at. Right. Um, is like what, what are the what are the modifications we need to make in our behaviors that are going to actually have um, that's going to give us that ability to come down easier and feel better and not feel worse when we come down and uh, part of it is actually paying attention during the busy time and so when people are like and I've run into this all the time when people are really intellectually into whatever it is they're doing when we're all in high functioning, high cognitive intellectual people, or they're in creative mode. So you can have workmen who are, you know, carpenters and electricians, and I'm talking very creative people. When they're in that, that you know, we're, our old system of education is to keep going until you're done. Don't stop. Don't take breaks. Keep going until you're done. And the biggest thing that people need to learn is, and so they don't listen to their physical cues. They turn them off. They switch them off. So if they had a call to go to the bathroom, they're not paying attention. And so eventually the brain quits giving them the call. It's like, they're not listening anyway. So what the hell? Let's yeah. turn it off. So yeah. we'll give them something bigger. We'll tell them that they're hungry. We'll tell them that they're, that now we're going to have cramps. Now we're going to, now we're going to have cramps and nausea. I bet you'll go to the bathroom now, you know? So, <laughs> so the idea is to listen to those cues as they're actually coming up and not waiting to the end of the day when you get quiet. So in other words, can you find time within your day, even if it's for two minutes, you know, to find that, that quiet time and bring yourself back down a little bit? So most productive people, they've done studies on this, spend time at task for about 47 minutes and then do something completely different for the next 15 to 17 minutes. And then they go back and they're very productive for 45 to 47 minutes. And then they stop and go do something completely different. If we can get people to break their days up a bit, you have to bargain with them because somebody who's at it for six hours and never takes a break is going to go crazy if you tell them to stop every hour. But you kind of start like, how long do you think can, you know, so I'll do things like, can you tell me when you come in the next time, I want you to just track this. I want you to have a piece of paper beside you. And whenever your mind starts to wander, I want you to write the time down. Don't do it. You know, you don't have to change anything. Don't do anything. Just write, just jot the time down. Just look at the time, jot it down and keep going. And what you end up finding with people when they really do this exercise is after about 30, 40 minutes, they have this period of time where their brain starts to wander because it's done. It can't do anymore. It's looking for a break. And so you can convince them that, when your mind starts to wander, one of the best ways to get it back on track is maybe stop and do a mindful exercise or a breathing exercise. Even something simple is like the two times breath. You know, breathe in for a count of three, breathe out for a count of six. Do it two or three times. Center yourself, see how you feel, 
get up and move around if you can because that sometimes will trigger, oh, I really do need to go to the bathroom. Or I need to pee. I just didn't realize it because I usually sit here for six hours until my legs swell. <laughs> right. You know, so, um, but by getting them to actually, you know, to, to take hold of the tiger during the day and not wait till it's over is a really nice way to change all of that because now the system has a chance to get more nimble during the day. And so then when you get home at nighttime, you actually will have more energy and you will feel less depleted. And that's what's happening is when they get home at nighttime, they're so depleted that that system crashes and the other system is left to go like, like crazy. Yeah. So then they pick themselves back up and get crazy again with it because they don't want to feel all that other stuff. Like you were talking about, like the pain or the discomfort or the cramping or the this and the that that went on. And it's mainly because they ignored it all day. So now it's its turn. But if you give it a little attention all day long, it's not going to be as noisy when you, you know, at the, at the other end of the day. And that's kind of like waiting for the storm to pass. You know, there's that old saying, you know, don't wait for the storm to pa pass, learn to dance during the storm. Yeah. You know, don't wait for things to get better to like take care of yourself, take care, radical self-care needs to occur in the moment instead of after. And those are the best ways. And that's, that's kind of a, a, one of the common things that we're talking a lot about in uh, the neuropathic uh, matrix, you know, with pain, chronic yes. pain, persistent pain, is not waiting until, you know, not distracting yourself. It's Distractions are great, don't get me wrong, but not using that completely as a coping mechanism, but learning to really kind of be okay with like, okay, I'm hurting, maybe I should do this a little bit differently. It doesn't mean I can't keep working. Maybe I need to lay down and work for a bit, or maybe I need to stand up for a bit, or maybe I need to take a five-minute break and go do something else and then see where I am and then come back in, or maybe I need to take a break for an hour. This is enough for me right now, but I can get more done in those pockets of hours than trying to sit here and make myself really hurt so that I'm down for two days. Right. Yeah, the boom and bust, right? Yeah, exactly. So the GI system is the main driver behind that boom and bust. You know, that's the stress hormones that are part of the pain experience, too. And we don't want to feed those anymore. We want to feed the sex hormones and get that balance back to that system so that they actually can have better ways of mitigating and decision-making around what's going on with them and more control around what's happening with them than being on the other side and just constantly running and running and running or fighting and running, fighting and running, fighting and running. Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, mm -hmm. if we think about our heart, right, we don't want our heart rate to be like right at the top or at the low of low. So if we mm -hmm. take those breaks and allow the heart to like move in the middle of sort of like between up and down and, you know, you want there to be some better consistency. You don't want to be revving, you know, mm -hmm. your engine high and, you know, it's going to be exhausted. And, and I was thinking like the volume, right? Like right. the body will have its turn to speak yes right? and it will take its turn when it it will it will take it but you have to also remember that it hasn't been able to speak for a long time so it's not going to get better just with one listening session yeah it's going to take this over time you know over time and it needs to be fed well and it needs to be cared for um you know, the whole, all of the systems do. And including, so, you know, and I'm, you know, I talked about high intensity interval training. I'm not against that. I like that form of exercise for that reason, because it takes you up high and gets you going. But at the end, you're all done, you know, and it teaches that system to get nimble. The problem with it is, is that if you have a system that's always running high all the time, 
it's not going to learn the come down part. Yeah. It's just going to keep it revved up more. So, you know, I'll take them, you know, if they're used to that 20 minute high interval training, it's like, what can you do for 20 minutes on this day? That's a low interval training. Yeah. <laughs> That's your yeah. low, low, low time intervals, you know, your low intensity interval training, your LIIT. Yeah. Yeah. Can you balance that? Just like you're trying to balance your system with the breath and the mindfulness and the, you know, the stuff and, and all of those things, but catching it during the day, you know, or during the time that they're not paying attention is when you need to pay attention. Yes. Perfect. I have a question. Is it yes. normal to poop every day? Um, no. Okay. That's an urban myth. So the, well, there's, there's, a, there's a, what they call the Rome criterion for functional bowel disorders. What a name, right? Yeah. Um, but basically what they look at is what's normal and what's not in bounds. And it's all done for criterion for research and what are we really looking at and, and what's happening and what does normal physiology do? Um, and the, the normal criterion is, is that uh, a bowel movement up to three times a week is normal all the way up to three times a day. Yeah. So that's, that's quite a range. Now what's not you know, and that's, and people can kind of figure that out. What, when things get interesting is when you fall out of what that normal range is, or you have a sudden change in what you feel is like the normal thing for you. So now we're talking about acquired stuff, not things that have been learned through a lifetime, but say you get pregnant and you have a baby and life is okay. And then you get pregnant again and have your second baby. And this time you're not bouncing back as fast and you're not sleeping nearly as much because now you have two. And you didn't get a chance to rest through the second pregnancy and hormone transitionals and you're a little bit older and things are different. And now you're having more problems and, you know, it becomes, an, you know, so you know that I've never had this thing where I feel this bloated and backed up and I don't know what to do about it, you know, but I'm still going every day. However, right. I didn't feel this way before. So that's when it becomes like, oh, maybe this for you. Is, is, you know, and you're paying attention because this is something that isn't in your, you know, on your highway. And that's when we run into the people who will see it come up a little bit more acutely or over time within a year or two of a hormonal transition type phase versus people who have had it for a long time. And now they've got nausea and all this other stuff, you know, climbing up on top of them. Thank you. You're um, welcome. What, okay, so what is the definition of constipation? Like, how does somebody know that, like, they're in a problem zone? Mm -hmm. So the definition of constipation, that's a good one. Uh, the definition of constipation is not being able to produce a bowel movement when you feel like you need to. Okay. Okay. And also, when you have stools that are, like, look like sticks and stones versus um soft nice and soft and fluffy and spongy yes okay so you know so it's the the quality of the stool like like what the stool looks like okay it's the difficulty in evacuating it's the yeah. feeling of not being able to evacuate when you know you need to and um you know and then or it could be having a bowel movement every day but not really feeling like you're clearing the decks and you're still having bloating and some other issues going on. So one of the surefire ways of trying to decide if you're really, you know, full of stool, um, it works very, very well and your PCP can do it for you. Most of the time, somebody like a, 
like a PT who does pelvic health, you know, um, physicians, GI docs do this all the time too, is they'll palpate your belly. They can feel stool in there. You know, we, we know how to feel for this. You can learn to feel it too. And we can teach you how. But for the people who are skeptics, like I go every day, I know I'm not constipated. This isn't an issue. It's not that. Oftentimes we'll do a flat plate x-ray, which is just an x-ray like if you're going to go have like an x-ray down of your spine. Um, and the radiologist will be able to see, they call it fecal stasis on the flat plate x-ray. But basically what they do is the stool becomes opaque in an x-ray and so it comes out as white and you can see it lining through the, in, through the colon. And a lot of people are quite surprised, you know, because they feel like, oh, I was going every day, I was going every day. But again, that system is used to backing up. So a little bit may come out every day, but you may still be backing up. So we have to go by kind of how they feel too. And so the people who are chronic don't even pay attention to this because they've been like that for so long until right. other alarm systems are going off. Yeah, yeah. So most people don't realize how that they are. They'll just tell you, you know, I go every day, and most people will smile and go, okay, that's good. But I always ask a few more other questions because, you know, if they're showing signs of, of inflammation and all kinds of other stuff. I'm always suspicious that you may be going every day, but I, something's still not optimal in your GI system because why are you having all these other problems? Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you, so, you know, if you're thinking about like a pain problem and, you know, incontinence problem, certainly contributing factor to prolapse, like you're thinking, like you're looking at it. Okay. Let me clear the GI mm -hmm. and like all the factors that may be, mm -hmm. you know, contributing to that. Right. Okay. Right. Good. Um, so there may be PTs listening, obviously, to this conversation, and they're going, how do I palpate for stool? Um, I, so you, you know, obviously, I attended your course. So uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the courses that you offer? That, oh, sure. Um, yeah. And uh, for, you know, during COVID-19, um, you know, people can't travel and go to courses. But I have a, a course on Embodia Academy in Canada. Um, uh, it's a GI dysfunction in the pelvic floor and there's a whole lab in there that demonstrates the, uh, massage, the abdominal massage, as well as palpation. Um, so that's in there and that, that whole course is in there. Just everything that you ever wanted to know that I teach live is online there. And, um, there's also a resource package in there that, so if you look up Susan Clinton instructor, you'll see there's three courses that I, that I have on there. And one of them is a resource package and that just shows a lot of the different exercises, movements, the, you know, the abdominal massage using all the rotational stuff um, and some other exercises and things as well as the palpation in there too. So if you just want that piece, the resource package is the way to go. If you want the whole course, you can, you can grab the whole course. Okay. Um, so yeah. And I teach live courses and uh, as well, and you can find out where I am and what I'm doing on my website which is, um, I think you're going to put it in the show notes. I am going to put it in the show but, notes, but you can say what it is. Yeah, but it's www.embody-pt.com. -E Perfect. And, yeah, follow the, the, you know, things are changing. So my courses are changing, of course, like with everything else. And um, uh, But check back and we'll be adding things in as we know new dates and new formats and 
Absolutely. So, you know, things, so it's nice. Get everybody through. Yeah. Yeah. There's a blend of online courses. I mean, of course, you know, it's great to do in person and, and hands on mm-hmm. and have that interaction with fellow colleagues, et cetera. And you travel around, you know, do you travel around the world or is it mostly North America? Mostly North America, but I have been to Europe and uh, planning some trips uh, further east as well. Okay. So, you know, there's options for people to see where mm-hmm. some live courses will be. Of course, once, you know, the pandemic is, uh, you know, once we know what's happening with that, uh, mm-hmm. we'll have more, you know, you'll have more information there about that. Yeah. Um, you also have a podcast. I do. Tell um, us a little I bit have, about that. Yeah, I have, I have two podcasts. Uh, one is called Tough to Treat. And that is with my co-host, Erica Mello. She's in New York City. I'm in Pittsburgh. And we get on and we talk about our clients. Uh, the ones that are complex and uh, we do it mostly from a movement system orthopedic um, eye, but I always can't help being myself. I always interject uh, the influence of the hormone system and the GI system, the urinary system and those kinds of things as well. Uh, We talk a lot about the neurological system in there and coordination and things like that. Um, So that's, we have that going. And then uh, I do a, a vlog with um, Carolyn Van Dicken out of uh, Canada and myself and Joletta Belton, who is a patient advocate for people in chronic pain. And uh, the vlog is the, um, the PT genius, the genius, the genius PT project. And uh, it's set up in projects. So we have, we interview uh, experts about different aspects around pain and we've had like projects on from the patient perspective where we've interviewed and discussed with clients what really worked for them. Everything from self-compassion to the therapeutic alliance to education and pain science and all kinds of other pieces. So we've got that going on and we put up new, new pro- uh, projects every quarter. Excellent. So. And that's, you know, for both clinicians and for... Both clinicians and for practitioners. Yeah, absolutely. And for clients. Yeah. For sure. And I send a lot of my clients there. Uh, to to listen to these you know to listen to somebody besides me talk about it but it's yeah. just nice for them to hear other clients and to hear Joletta's words and how she talks about things from the from the client's perspective as well and um, that that's been fun both of those are free resources for everybody so amazing to to sh- put that out there and share that with everyone yeah and we'll definitely uh, post a link in yeah. the uh, show notes mm-hmm. for that so it'll make it nice and easy for people to. Uh, to find that information. Um, are those the main places where people can find you or are you on, do you do social media if people want to? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and your hashtag or your, your hashtag. I was going to say your, um, my, uh, my, my handle, handle on Twitter. Yeah. My handle on Twitter and Instagram is, um, S Clinton PT. So Okay. You can find was, me there. Yep. I couldn't, fi- I couldn't find the word. I was like, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Handle, handle. Okay, perfect. Um, that way people, you know, um, who are interested in, you know, either your courses or information, you know, a great place to kind of get that live and up-to-date information. Well, I want to thank you very much uh, for taking time to talk to us about um, 
about this and the gastrointestinal system. And I'm hoping this is helpful to clinicians as well as to patients who, you know, may hear their clinician say, Hey, sleep's really important. It's not just me saying it, you know, there's other, there's other experts who believe it too. No. Um, but I think it's helpful, you know, to, for us to, um, you know, have kind of like a unified voice about here are the things we know help, you know, at a basic, you know, at a basic level, just getting some sleep. So I, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your knowledge um, with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And of course, we always want to thank our listeners uh, for participating. Uh, if you like the show and want to listen to other shows, you know, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and make sure to share this episode out because, you know, like lots of people are experiencing constipation, but they might not be talking about it. Right. So sharing this out may, may be helping somebody who's like in a really tough situation. Um, so we would appreciate that as well. On that note, we say thank you. And until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to living a better life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.